I've credited my mum and dad with many things over the years, including some simple beliefs and habits that have proven their worth over time. One that I failed to mention, though, relates to a major cause of stress for many of us, running late for everything. Hey, it's Peter, and welcome to On Your Terms, a show all about personal reinvention based on meaningful work, autonomy, and living a happier, more intentional life. Ultimately, it's all about filling your backpack with whatever's missing so you can go and climb your mountain, where the climb is just as exciting as the peak. As a semi-workaholic 50-year-old who's already had one heart attack, I know how dangerous stress can be. Now, we could chat for hours about our ability to heal and kill ourselves through our thoughts and feelings, but we don't really have long enough to go into that. So instead, I want to illustrate why you should stop being late for everything and why it can change your life. When I tell my mum that we'll see her for lunch at midday, and it's already 12 o'clock and we haven't left the house yet, it's stressful. Instead of telling her that we'll be late, I find myself creeping over the speed limit, hoping that I'll teleport there somehow. It's so stressful, in fact, that I'd need many fingers and toes to count the times that running late for lunch has caused tension in our house. My wife and I clearly have different views on the value of time, and no amount of rational debate will sway her. I've learned that if she says she'll take 30 minutes to get ready, she actually means two hours. I've given up selling her on this, so I'm going to try and convince you of the life-changing benefits of being early for everything. And to do that, I'm going to offer five examples. The first one is getting up in the morning. Years ago, I used to be a night owl, and I've seen hundreds of 3am finishes. My wife still is a night owl, and strangely, so is my seven-year-old son, Tommy. But since I started taking Tommy to bed at 9.30, my body clock has returned to more circadian rhythms, and it's made waking at 5.30 much easier for sure. Mel Robbins' five-second rule has helped too, meaning the snooze button rarely gets a tap these days. Waking early has done many things for me. First, I feel kind of smug, knowing that I'm getting a jump on everyone, whoever everyone is. By the time I wake the others, I've seen a sunrise, I've had a peaceful breakfast, and I've knocked over two hours of my most important work. Not a bad way to start the day. No matter what happens with the rest of my day, I've at least tackled my number one project, and that always feels good. At about 7.30am, I open the blinds in the bedroom and I gently nudge my wife, giving her about 30 minutes to get herself together and stumble into the dining room. By then, Tommy's also awake and everything unfolds in a nice, orderly, unstressed fashion. Rather than waiting till the last minute to get ready, doing it this way has made mornings far more peaceful for all of us. The next uh, example is getting kids ready for school. Waking Tommy 45 minutes before school allows him to snuggle on the couch with mum before having breakfast. By the time he enters the lounge room, there's tea with honey on the coffee table and usually some toast with homemade jam, thanks to my dad. Just like my waking ritual, it's all very calm and unhurried. As we walk to school, we're free to amble, to talk about stuff, and at the time of this podcast, enjoy the spring blossoms. Done this way, it allows him to start his day relaxed happy and ready for school. On my walk home, I always see dozens of disabled parents and kids rushing the bell and I mutter to myself, if you just added 30 minutes. The next example is going to work. Our roads and cities are more congested than ever. In my hometown of Melbourne in Australia, infrastructure spending lags way behind population growth. 
Every arterial road near the city is a car park by about 7am. This is one of the key reasons I work from home, and escaping the peak hour crush has allowed me to get far more done every day. Sometimes, though, a situation calls for my presence in town at the unholy hour of 9am. I say it's unholy because it means I get to spend an hour staring at taillights when I could be working. Like most journeys, I check the estimated transit time on Google Maps, and then I add 30 minutes. If there's a crash on the freeway or the office car park is full, it gives me enough grace to sort things out and still arrive unflustered. If I do get there half an hour early, I say good day to my favourite colleagues or I sit in my car and revisit the notes for our meeting. Either way, by the time 9 o'clock ticks over, I'm relaxed, prepared and ready to contribute. The alternative is to bolt through the door an anxious hot mess, skip the ice-breaking pleasantries and screw up the whole damn meeting. I reckon a key element of any successful meeting is reaching alignment between the participants. And if I arrive in the wrong state of mind, it makes getting there a whole lot harder. The next example I want to give you is catching a flight. I remember the first time I went overseas was 1975 at the tender age of seven. Our family was off to Europe for three months, and to make sure we didn't miss our flight, we roomed at the swanky airport travelodge the night before. I remember I was a nervous wreck of excitement, and getting to sleep that night was really tough, especially with the screaming 747s just 500 metres away. Later, other trips followed, to Europe again, and then many countries in Asia. And I was never late for a single flight. Then I began working for a car magazine, and flights soon became like, well, bus trips. I became blasé about all this travel, and I cut my airport transit times down to the bone. i got to say, too, leaving a warm bed with my Italian girlfriend wasn't easy either. It was common to see me race through traffic lights like an ambulance heading to a car crash. Remember, this was before Google Maps or satellite navigation, so transit times were always a wild guess. I remember I once had a plane chartered for me, and I was so late waking that I got busted doing double the speed limit and I lost my license. I so enjoyed that experience that I did it twice more, losing my license each time. The day of the chartered flight, I remember another guy was tailing me along the freeway for about, I don't know, five or ten minutes, moving in and out of lanes with synchronised precision. I remember thinking it was cool that we were both late for something, and we clearly had the same idea. That is, until the blue light showed up on the dashboard of his unmarked police car. I remember kneeling at his window, pleading for mercy. He didn't even look at me. He wrote up the ticket, and he shook his head, saying, Son, a licence is a right, not a privilege. You need to treat it that way. I eventually learned my lesson, and now I prefer to wander into an airport rather than bolt through it. Flying might be common these days, but it shouldn't be any less magical. In the 60s and 70s, flying was almost reverential. It was super expensive and something to be savoured. When you slow down and give yourself more time, you can marvel at the wonder of flight again. You can stop for a sandwich and press your face against the glass overlooking the tarmac. You can begin your journey as a seven-year-old would, happy, excited, and grateful to be doing something amazing. The last example I want to give you is meeting a client. If you're in sales or you're a consultant, meeting up with a client can be stressful. I mean, have you anticipated their needs? Have you planned for objections? Will they trust you? Will the CEO be present? The only thing in my experience that works is to know your prospect or client and your product back to front. It's having enough knowledge to feel confident, calm, and prepared. Apologising for running late is a bad way to kick things off. Being early, though, shows that you respect their time and it allows you to get your bearings. Oftentimes, I'll arrive more than 30 minutes early and go over my notes once more, or I'll wander around their premises and say hi to a few people before kickoff. It shows that I'm interested in their business and the people who run it. 
It also gives me time to get familiar with my surroundings and to find something to talk about when we sit down. I've been in the car trade for almost three decades, so I've spent a lot of time in dealerships. Wandering through the lot, sitting in the cars, and chatting to the receptionist is a great way to ease into a meeting. By the time you're called into the boardroom, you're already a familiar face. As long as doing business involves other people, being early gives you the leverage to greet anyone with grace and confidence. My folks used to say, it's better to be late and alive than dead on time. I heard this a lot when I was a freshly licensed 18-year-old and always in a hurry to get somewhere in my Holden panel van with kick-ass speakers and home-painted wheel covers. But the truth is, my parents were rarely late for anything. They knew full well that everything takes longer than you expect, and so they'd adjust their schedules accordingly. I've learned that by front-loading 30 minutes on everything I do, my days unfold more gracefully and with a lot less stress. If Google says it'll take 50 minutes to get to a meeting, I allow 80. If I need to be at the airport by 2, I'll be in the terminal by 1.30 or earlier. You see, our bodies aren't designed to live in a perpetual state of fight or flight. Yet that's exactly how many of us live. I mean, it isn't enough to be depressed about our past. It seems we need to be anxious about the future too. Your life is a lot more peaceful when instead of, shit, we're going to be late, your mantra is, there's no rush, we've got plenty of time. Midlife is stressful for many reasons. We have bills, kids, responsibilities, and no free time. A self-induced heart attack shouldn't be on the list. Living in a state of panic isn't desirable or honourable. It doesn't make you more important or more productive. It's actually counterintuitive to living a meaningful, purpose-driven life. My dad is 82 and my mum is 76, and both are in rude health. I attribute much of their longevity to the way they've lived their adult lives. They display order and calmness in everything they do. A time for everything and everything in time. This, I believe, has more impact on our mental and physical health than abstinence or exercise. And yes, both of those things are important. But if we're wound up like a spring all the time, those habits won't be enough to ward off ill health. As they say, you don't get an ulcer from what you eat, but rather what's eating you. So give yourself an extra 30 minutes before starting any task and see what it does to your life. I'm betting it'll change it for the better. Anyway, that's it for me for this week. You'll find the corresponding blog post to this episode over at peterfritz.co slash 63. This is the 63rd episode. And until next week, here's to living and working on your terms. I'll catch you then. See ya.